Good morning. Thankful to be with you this morning, and I hope that you will continue to pray for me and for one another as we look into God's Word. I have on my mind this morning, as I have most of this week, the subject of baptism. And it is because Paul makes some interesting statements here in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. So if you'll be turning there to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I'm going to tell you ahead of time, I'm not going to try to cover the subject of baptism exhaustively as in every reference that there is in the New Testament to baptism, but I do want to cover uh, a few of them that I think show the true purpose of baptism, the meaning of baptism, the why that we ought to do baptism, the pattern of it, um, when there's uh, been some problems with baptism, what we do, and the purpose in baptism and what we are to be doing afterward. And so we will be looking at a few different places. But the Apostle Paul, in making this statement here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, we'll start in verse 13. Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. The Apostle Paul makes a few interesting statements here that if misapplied or taken out of context, we lose the reason for baptism, we lose the meaning of baptism, we lose the purpose of baptism, we lose the necessity of baptism and what it's needed for. And so a lot of folks have some misunderstandings about it and it's because they just want to look at this passage, pull it out of context, or look at other passages and not look at the New Testament as a whole on the concept of baptism. Before we get into this subject, I want you to look at the last verse of this first chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. The Apostle Paul, as a tent maker is, begins to sow a very long line, and his main point is made here some 16 verses later, but then he expands on this very point. But what we are looking for in our understanding of the pattern, practice, and purpose of baptism is that this, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Baptism is to represent something that we only give glory to God when we're doing it. The church at Corinth had proper baptisms, but after that, we know that there were these at least four divisions, four main divisions that had become quite prideful in their little cliques that they had put together. And so the Apostle Paul uses the example of baptism here and almost um, slams them to the wall by saying, I'm thankful I didn't baptize so many of you. But notice what he says, lest any think that I baptized in mine own name. There's the key. And when Paul says I, 
that Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel, he's not saying that we shouldn't baptize. He's saying that there is a misunderstanding of baptism and that the focus ought to be on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now let me start off by saying those that believe that the ordinances of the church or or uh, other titles that they call them, um, being baptism and the Lord's Supper, that think those things are necessary in order for us to have and continue in our eternal salvation, I'm not sure what they do with that statement right there when Paul says, I came not to baptize. If the purpose of baptism was to gain eternal life or to make ourselves part of the family of God, then that seems to me to be the primary job that the Apostle Paul would have had. But Paul says it was not. And so I don't want to attack any particular practice. I want to look at the Word of God and see what it says about baptism and then come back and look at what Paul is saying here. And when we're doing this, we're going to have to be honest with ourselves. There are some things in the Bible that we like, and that's a good thing. And they're true things, but they're not true because we like them. There are some things in the Bible that we don't like, but that doesn't make them untrue. It just means we don't like it, most of the time because it gets in the way of our will or our pride or something that uh, takes something out of our power. And honestly, I think the reason that we don't like it is we don't understand it. We don't understand the beauty of, if any man glory, let him glory in the Lord, not glory in the Lord plus even the littlest of something else. So you can put your ribbon or your finger there in 1 Corinthians. We'll come back there. But let's go back to an instance that we have of our Savior himself being baptized. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 3, and y'all continue praying. Matthew chapter 3, John has been baptizing in the wilderness, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Something that I want you to notice about that statement. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is 2,000 years from now. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This recorder is at hand. It's here is what he is saying. From the time of Malachi to the time of John, God was not speaking to the children of Israel through prophets. He may have done some signs and things, but he wasn't giving direct instruction. And when John came in, the kingdom of God came down to man. And it became more manifest what God meant by everything in the Old Testament. And John was preaching that. As far as I can tell, John was the only one authorized to do some baptizing. And so anybody that wanted to be baptized under this teaching went out to the River Jordan. Now, some folks would look at you, where do you go to church? Well, I go to church about 20 minutes over there or 30 minutes over there. Some folks may have to say, I have to travel over an hour. And they say, oh, that's too far to go. Have you ever looked at a map from Jordan to Jerusalem? <laughs> they didn't have an automobile to get in. It was more than a day's journey out there. So there were folks coming from all over Judea and Galilee and Samaria going out to the River Jordan because they heard that there was a prophet of God speaking. My little mini lesson on that is, it is never too far to travel for the truth. 
They had teachers that were more convenient. But did that make them right? No, it didn't. And so what we need to do is when we are searching out someone and a place for us to learn more correctly the Word of God, then we've got two choices. We either make a long drive or we move. We make it to where the learning the correct thing is what we're looking for rather than the convenient thing. And so John's out here in the wilderness baptizing. And let's pick it up in verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now let me ask you something. Did Jesus become the Son of God when the Holy Spirit descended and lighted on him like a dove and the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is now my Son? Did he say, This is now my Son? No. Jesus did not become God's son when he was baptized. He was already God's son. So that tells me that baptism does not cause us to become a child of God. So people say, okay, it's not important. That's really what's happened. Is either have to have that statement, you got to do it, or you're eternally lost, or it's not that important. Folks, if it's not that important, then why is it all over the New Testament? It's important, but it's important for another reason. It's important because it gives glory to God. And what we have now is Jesus said, suffer it to be so nice. He said, John, you don't, you, you don't really understand. You know, John didn't live long enough to see Jesus Christ crucified and buried and raised from the dead. John saw the coming of the Christ. His ministry was pointing toward someone. He says, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. I don't know from the records of John's preaching if he knew exactly how that was going to work. He just knew Jesus was going to be the Savior. He knew it, but he didn't know how. That's important to understand. John taught a Savior in prospect. He taught, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you want to know what's going on, repent of your sins, repent of your false doctrines, look unto this man and see what he does. But all of that was on the other side of the cross. Before Jesus performed the acts that did save us. He says, suffer it now to be so, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. If being baptized fulfills all righteousness, then not being baptized does what? Doesn't fulfill all righteousness. Now let me make sure I, I clear out all that space in between. 
There's righteousness and then there's wrong. Baptizing is a good thing. So even though we know clearly from Scripture that it does not cause you to become a child of God, even if we didn't have this example here, folks, there's 4,000 years of world history where nobody was baptized. Does that mean Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of those were lost? Does that mean Noah was lost? No. It's because that ordinance of baptism never gave eternal life to anyone. So that means it's unimportant, right? No. Jesus right here. Now, let me, let me make sure you understand something. Whether we ever fully understand all there is to know about baptism or not, Jesus said it's a righteous thing to do. So whether I understand it all or not, if my Savior said it's a righteous thing to do, then what should I do? I ought to do it. That takes care of that right there, doesn't it? Now, in my rational mind, I want to know why it's the righteous thing to do. I'm not going to argue against why it's the righteous thing to do because Jesus said it's right. But there's nothing wrong with saying, all right, Lord, why is this right? And I think we have that in Scripture. We have that Jesus baptized more than John. And it's recorded, though, that it was his disciples that did it, not necessarily Jesus. And we find during that time that John began to fade away from the scene. And he said, I must decrease and he must increase. From this time forward of the baptism of Jesus, John fades into the background, as all preachers should. That's what happened at Corinth. The preachers didn't put themselves foremost. But those that made these groups said, well, my preacher was more important than your preacher. My preacher was better than your preacher. That's the reason Paul said, I'm thankful I didn't baptize most of you folks. Because y'all are just missing the point right now. And so baptism happens throughout the gospel times. And so let's go to the end of the gospel according to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has died. Jesus has been buried. Jesus has resurrected on the third day. And Jesus has appeared unto different folks at different times. And as according to Romans chapter 1, he's been declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And baptisms still to be done. But here's something that I want you to see. Here at the end of the gospel according to Matthew, and I think it also occurs at the end of Mark, we have a charge that is given. Now, I'm not going to argue as to who the charge was given, but there's some things that go along with baptism that I want you to see. Verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Don't ignore that. All power has been given unto me. Jesus had all power, but what he is saying is, I now have been 
restored to my rightful place as king. And there is no power on earth or in heaven except what is in me. There's no power in the preacher. There's no power in the person praying. There's no power in the person believing. All power is in Christ. That's important to understand. Because then he says, go ye therefore. He said, if all power is in Christ. Remember what I said. Remember what closed 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Him that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. If all power is given to Christ, then we can glory in that. And notice what Jesus teaches his disciples to do. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus says, go do three things. The first, he says, is go teach all nations. That's done by preaching. Now, what's different here is when he sent out the disciples before, where did he send them? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They stayed in Judea. If, G if Jesus was up in Galilee, they were with him. If Jesus was in Samaria, they were with him. But when they went alone, they stayed in Judea. It's different now. He says, now you have a charge and to go out all over the world. Preach the gospel everywhere. Then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. What we have here is those that are baptized were those that were taught. We're going to see in just a few moments that belief is necessary in order to be admitted to baptism. We already had that in the case of John's baptism. John baptized those in the wilderness that came confessing their sins and repenting toward God. There were some that came that didn't see the need for repentance. And so John refused to baptize them. Made them mad. Now I'm not quite sure why it made them mad. Other than they could tell John was something special. And they needed to be part of it in order to maintain their position in society. That's really what it was. But John said, bring therefore fruit meat for repentance. I mean, show me something in your life. That shows you re you're really following God. So they weren't listening to the teaching of John, <clears throat> so John didn't baptize them. Jesus gives the same pattern. You go and preach. Those that respond in belief, that understand it, you baptize them. That right there negates infant baptism. I am not saying that a child that cannot speak cannot be born again. I'm saying that it's nothing that men do. David himself confessed in the Psalms that he was made to hope while on his mother's breast. All right, now, let's get real specific of that. David doesn't remember a time in his life where he didn't have a hope in God. There's no way men taught that to him. It's just like Peter, that my father hath revealed this unto thee. It was revealed unto David before he had the intellectual concept to even say the word mama is what he's saying. But I've always had this hope in my heart. And as we hear the good news of Jesus Christ, our heart can respond to that. 
That's the folks that Jesus says baptize. Those that have that heart that when the gospel is preached, it, it hits right down in there. And I, noticed, I want you to notice what he says here because it's very important where we're going. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's not three different baptisms. We're not triple dippers. Okay? We're not taught to do that. We're baptized one time. And it's the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Holy Ghost. Interchangeable. Now, later it's going to say in the name of Christ. That's not to the exclusion of the Father and of the Holy Ghost. That is to set it apart that this is done in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We're being baptized because of the work that the Father has done, the work that the Son has done, and the work that the Holy Spirit has done. God the Father chose, God the Son died, and God the Holy Spirit applied. And so we're recognizing that in baptism. And oh, I missed something else before. Again, I mean no disrespect, but it's probably going to sound like it, so I'm not going to apologize that much. The portraits that I see where someone has painted two men standing in a river that's about waist deep, and one of the men picking up two handfuls of water and pouring it on top of the other guy's head, I can't quite figure out why they went down into the water if that's all the water they're going to use. It says when Jesus came up out of the water, that wasn't just talking knee deep or waist deep. He was baptized. Pouring water on something does not look like a death, burial, and a resurrection. When you have Philip, Philip the evangelist, going out and preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch in the wilderness, he said, here is much water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? If you only need enough to sprinkle on top of the head, why do you need much water? I guarantee that fellow had a canteen there in the chariot with him that he could have poured some water on his head, but he needed much water because you're going to go into the water and come up out of the water because that's what looks like the death of Christ and the burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Let's glory in the Lord. But there's a third step Jesus mentions. This one gets ignored. He said, go therefore and teach, baptize, and teach. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So you teach that Jesus is the Christ. You baptize the believers. The believers continue to gather as a church body, and you continue to teach them. It's not a one and off. It's not a baptized, oh, I got that taken care of. Check it off the list and then go live. Jesus says you teach them, which means they have to be a believer to be baptized. And then after you've baptized them, you keep teaching them. That's church. This is the reason Baptists teach that baptism makes you a member of a church. We teach that. Why? Because it says it right there. Because teaching comes from the pillar of ground of truth, which is what? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the pattern. And the pattern is that it's a believer being baptized by one that is authorized to baptize. 
and they're baptized by immersion, and then they continue in the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the pattern. Let's look at it in practice. Acts chapter 2. You know, the Holy Spirit is an amazing teacher. When the principle is taught, you'll find example so that you can understand the principle. Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Now, let me mention some things. When we look at baptisms that occurred in the book of Acts, and we look at the church at Corinth, this was still during the time in the which there were miraculous sign gifts. Joel spoke about those, and they were fulfilled in Israel and in the early church, and during the Apostle Paul's lifetime, those gifts began to cease and eventually did cease. I know this because they're not divided out. The gift of tongues is placed right there along the gift of prophecy, and the gift of prophecy is placed right there along with the gift of healing, and there are multiple men that Paul did not heal. So that tells me that those gifts had died away. They were there to confirm that the message of the gospel came from heaven. And when it confirmed that, actually the Bible says the signs are for the unbeliever. The believers are going to believe whether there's signs there or not. That's important to understand. But those things may be mentioned. But let's not get caught up in that if, if we have baptism and we can't speak in a language we've never studied. That's different now. But the pattern of baptism is still the same. Peter preached. Verse 34 of Acts chapter 2. Let's look at the conclusion of Peter's sermon. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. In the Psalms, it is declared that when Jesus Christ ascended, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. His work was finished, and his kingdom was established. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter, and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were pricked in the heart. Now there's an example later where an apostle's preaching that says they were cut to the heart. Meaning it came at it, hit a hard heart of stone, and the gospel bounced right back out. We're going to find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's going to be taught plainly what's going on there. It's what's mentioned in the Old Testament that I will take away their stony heart and give them a heart of flesh. By the administration of the Holy Spirit and the new birth, our heart is softened. The Word of God is placed in there. So when it preaches, our soul rejoices in it. And they're pricked in the heart. Because, I mean, honestly, the preaching of the gospel to them that perish is foolishness. That's right there, and we're almost there in 1 Corinthians. Why is it different? Because some hearts have been changed. 
those whose hearts have been changed respond to the teaching of the gospel and they say, what do we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now that last part, remember what I was talking about. There was the laying on of the hands that the apostles did and that gave the gift of the Holy Ghost. But there is also a sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise that happens. The Apostle Paul speaks of that in Ephesians chapter 1. That gift's still there. That only comes when you're baptized and you're only baptized in true belief. But also what, what I want you to notice is this. He says repent, meaning turn from what you are doing and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That is not to the exclusion of God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. Remember what I said, when it says in the name of Jesus Christ, it's talking about the work of God. Because remember, what does Christ's name believe? Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's what the name means. It's not a savior in prospect. It's not a savior that did some and you do the rest. If so, where do we draw the line on what the rest is? Is it a simple confession? Is it a confession and a baptism? Is it a confession, a baptism, and then a perfect life after that? Where do you draw the line? I can tell you this. Your confession and mine were imperfect. You know why? Because they came out of a fallen mouth. That probably within 24 hours, if not less, also said something wrong. And so it's imperfect on our side. And so we can't glory in what Christ has done along with us. We can only glory in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We did it in his name. Notice what Peter says here. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. This one's yanked out of context. People say, well... You get baptized, you get your sins taken away from you. There is a sense in which that is true. And that is when you are baptized, you are recognizing that you are following Christ and you're asking God for forgiveness and you experience that forgiveness. But I don't think that's what Peter's saying here. Some of you younger fellows don't understand this. Brother Chris, I don't think ever will understand this. There's shampoos out there that say for thinning hair. <laughs> Am I going to use that shampoo to get my hair even more thin? Or am I using that shampoo because I already have thinning hair? The shampoo is for hair that's already thinning. Baptism is for those that believe their sins have already been remitted in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's we're acknowledging that Christ did it all. That's what baptism is. That's no small thing. If you don't do it, you're not acknowledging either to men or to God himself that you think he got it done. He knows whether you really think it or not. But why not go ahead? Why not go ahead and glory? Which is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.30. He that glories, let him glory in the Lord. You can't do that on the inside. 
To glory in the finished work of Jesus Christ requires words, requires actions. Baptism being the first one and a big one. So being baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and he shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise is to all that the Lord our God shall call. That's talking about the new birth. The promise of the gift of the Holy Ghost, the promise of being sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise is to those that God calls and not any others. Nero, pretty sure God didn't call him. Nero heard the gospel, bounced right off his stony heart, and he killed the guys that were preaching it. Pretty clear. Now, granted, let's don't just look at that one act. Let's look at a man named Paul. Oh, yeah, the fellow that's going to be talked about here, the fellow that wrote 1 Corinthians. He was no different than Nero. He heard the gospel preached, and he killed the men that were preaching it, one of them, while he was preaching it, had him stoned to death, Stephen. But on that road to Damascus, when he was going to bind and kill more, Jesus came and changed his heart. God called him. Yes, he called him to the ministry. He called him to be an apostle. More importantly, he called him to be born again, to be regenerated, to have that heart of flesh placed in him. And old Saul of Tarsus went from I've got these letters and I'm going to stop them all. So who art thou, Lord? And what would you have me to do? He had learned something. And oh, by the way, what happens next? Go over here, get baptized, and he'll teach us some stuff. The pattern is always there. Verse 40. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, catch this right here, save yourselves from this untoward generation. Baptism saves. It saves you from what? Peter tells us this untoward generation. What happened to that generation? Study your history book. 70 AD was a disaster for them. Those that believed the gospel and were baptized and followed what the apostles said, they got out of town. And they were saved from the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Plain and simple, folks. Baptism saves us from the dangers of this world. Now, does that mean that the dangers won't happen to us any longer? No. It means that we're not going to be as influenced. Because we have said, I'm going to follow Christ. I am making this testimony. So while I am following Christ, I'm being saved. Paul told Timothy that you can preach these things so that you can save yourselves and them that hear thee. Is he talking about populating heaven? No. He's saving from error. Saving from the untoward generation. So what's the crowd's response? Then they, 
that gladly received his word were baptized. Nobody was coerced. Nobody was saying, okay, I've got this sword pointed at me, and so I'm going to be baptized. Yes, there were groups that called themselves churches that did that. Those that gladly received. Folks, if you don't gladly receive, meaning understand and believe what you're hearing, then then don't be baptized. Because it's not doing you any good. Because you don't know what it means. Baptism means you believe Christ did it all. And you want to acknowledge that and glorify him in it. And the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. If baptism is not leaked, linked to church membership, I don't know what else you do with that. Because they were baptized and what? Added unto them, the church that was at Jerusalem. Folks, it's that simple. We had the pattern of it. It's a believer. And he goes, well, you know, Jesus could have picked anybody to baptize. But God the Father had chosen John. And so he went to John, the only one that was, had the heaven authority to baptize. Jesus authorized his disciples to baptize. And they baptized and then ordained men. And the pattern that Paul teaches his young ministers is teach what I taught you to other men so that they can teach other men. So it's a link from the apostles down through, not just springing up here and there. It's a link of authority that comes straight from God. We know that the mode of baptism is immersion. And it's of those that believe. So we've seen the pattern. We've seen it in practice. Did everybody always do it right, though? No, let's skip forward a few years to Acts chapter 18. We're going to find a man that the Apostle Paul mentions as one of these groups there at Corinth. Now, remember what I said about those groups. I'm not blaming the names that are being used. These folks are claiming these names, and Apollos is one of them. Remember, these were the folks that liked the intellectual preacher that could speak very well and could debate and was well-refined. I think if Apollos had heard that, he would have come in screaming and saying no because he got it right after this. Acts chapter 18. This is at Ephesus. Verse 24, Paul had been there in the area. Priscilla and Aquila had been in the area. The gospel circulating around. Nothing real definite yet. In Acts chapter 18, verse 24, it says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. He was a good speaker, and he understood the Old Testament well. Let me ask you a question. Is the name of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament? If we didn't have the New Testament, is there a clear picture in the Old Testament 
of how we're going to be redeemed. No. There are types and shadows of it. The shadow of something shows you the outline. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But the details of how it happened, you can't see in a shadow, can you? You only see the outline of it. That's all he had. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Right there. That's key. First of all, Spirit's a lowercase s. His spirit was on fire, but his knowledge was incomplete because he only had the baptism of John. At this point, he didn't have the authority from the Lord Jesus Christ. After he has the conversation with Aquila, he does. But at this point, he only knows the baptism of John. His doctrine is incomplete. John pointed toward a Savior to come. The Old Testament points toward a Savior to come. Apollos pointed toward a Savior to come. A Savior in potential. Priscilla and Aquila hear this. And they expound unto him the way of God more perfectly. Chapter 19. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Apollos has gone down to Corinth. That tells you the timing of this right here. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, Apollos has gone down there now with the more perfect, meaning he's got the whole gospel now. When he's baptizing now, he's doing the right thing. But notice here. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto, the, unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. We had the pattern. We had the, the uh, practice of it. Now we got a problem. So have you received the gift of the Holy Ghost since you believed? Notice very carefully what the King James translators faithfully translated for us. We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. They didn't say gift of the Holy Ghost. They said we didn't know the Holy Ghost existed. They weren't baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. They had an improper baptism. They had an incomplete teaching of the work of salvation. How do we know that? Because God the Father chose, God the Son died, and God the Holy Spirit quickens. If they haven't heard of the Holy Ghost, how can they know that God is a quickening spirit? And notice what he says. <laughs> he said, if you hadn't received that, then under what were you baptized? And they said, to John's baptism. As far as I can see from Scripture... John had disciples that could baptize, but then it didn't go beyond that point. His disciples didn't make other disciples that baptized. They pointed everybody toward Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ's disciples took care of it at that point. Also, there's something else to understand. Apollos apparently either wasn't there 
with the baptism of John or left too soon because John saw the Son and John saw the Spirit and John heard the Father. Apollos didn't know about that. Apollos had even less than John. And if John taught a Savior in prospect, which he did, because it hadn't been accomplished yet, then Apollos is teaching that. My, 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 argument, my argument is this. Any doctrine that teaches what Jesus Christ has done but leaves something for you to do teaches a Savior in prospect that Jesus can finish the work if you'll just let him. People say that's by baptism or that's by taking communion or it's by doing this other act. No, baptism is a complete thing because he raised from the dead. If baptism was only to represent what Christ did and you've got to do the rest, then we'd all be dead now. You know how I know that? Because you'd have drowned. You'd have stayed underneath the water. But the fact that Christ came up and the fact that you were raised up out of the water should point to the fact that it's done. Because he that glorieth, let him what? Glory in the Lord. It's done. It is finished. So how does Paul handle this? Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Does Paul insult these men? No, he doesn't insult these folks. They had an honest understanding of what they heard, and they were baptized on what they heard. But it was incomplete, and so something needed to be done. And he says, let me tell you the whole story. On Christ Jesus. When they heard this, notice this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They weren't baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus because John didn't baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus. They were rebaptized because the pattern wasn't fully there. They didn't have a proper baptizer, somebody that had the authority to do it because his gospel was incomplete and they had an incomplete understanding. But when Paul came and said, here's the whole story, they gladly did it again. And they received the gift of the Holy Ghost after that. This is the reason Baptists baptize people coming in from other denominations because we teach a different doctrine. This is the reason primitive Baptists even baptize those coming from missionary Baptists or other kinds of Baptists because the doctrine is fundamentally different. We believe that Christ did it all. Now, I'm, I'm not insulting that at all. And I think we worship the same Jesus. I just think the account that we give of what Jesus did is a more complete one. And so we had a pattern, we had a practice, we had a problem. And it solved. And it didn't split a church. Church at Ephesus became strong after that. So Bryce, why do we baptize? I already told you that. Jesus said it's righteousness. But if you need more evidence, turn with me over to 1 Peter. 
and I'll hurry on this one. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to skip down, but I'm not skipping something because I don't understand it. Christ in the Spirit, through Noah, preached to the disobedient world while he built the ark. That's what's being described here. Christ did not go down into hell and preach to people bound in hell. Christ in the Spirit preached through Noah to all of the world that were mocking Noah while he built the ark. That's what's happening here. Verse 20 says, which were sometime disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, there's why we do it. Noah in the ark pointed was a figure of baptism. And notice that it doesn't say they were saved from water. They were saved by water. From what? The evil world. The untoward generation of that time. Do you see that? The like figure, baptism doesn't put away your sin. But it does say, I'm in Christ. And saves me from these things out here. Now, if I walk disobedient, I'm liable to get in these things. But I, if I am in Christ, I'm saved by the water. Also, it's plain and simple. Nobody was saved by water except those in the boat. Right? A lot of people get baptized and aren't in Christ and they're not saved by the water. <laughs> because they didn't have a proper understanding of it for whatever reason. Because here's the deal. It's not the putting away the filth of flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. You have been given a good conscience, a working conscience, a clean one, a pure one that, that answers out to God or that cries out to God through your mind, through your body and says, this is what you ought to do. It's that answer. It's that voice that's in you saying, follow the Lord. And this is how you do it. That's in parentheses. Because notice what, I wanted, what it says. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If it's not saved eternally, then what is it? Read on. Who has gone into heaven... And is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. If the work was not finished, then why did he go away? Contrary to what Schofield Darbyism says and the LaHaye's and all the millions they're making, Jesus Christ did not fail and going to come and try it again later. He finished the work. He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high until his enemies are made his footstool, which they are. We just don't see it yet. Keep reading. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath what? Ceased from sin. Why do we get baptized? Because we want to stop sinning. Number one, Christ said to do it. 
It's righteous. And that means if it's righteous, it's not a sin. And if we want to stop sinning, then we need to follow Christ. And baptism is the first step. So why, do, why is it important? You know, a lot of folks, especially old Baptists, say, well, if it doesn't get you into heaven, then why do it? Because God said to. You're being disobedient. If I can use a military term, it's dereliction of duty. You have been called by the Holy Spirit of God into his army and into his church. Take up arms, Peter says. <laughs> Fight against the flesh. Do good. In Galatians it says, as many as were baptized have put on Christ. That's what that's talking about. It's not talking about being born again. It's putting on the identity, meaning the way we want to walk, we want to walk like Christ. Romans chapter 6 says that we are dead to sin. How can we live any longer therein? Christ died and rose in righteousness. When we're baptized, it's a sign to others and to ourselves that we're acknowledging that Christ died for our sins and we want to live differently. We want to live like our Savior. That's why baptism is important. And also it does this. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. If you believe that Jesus Christ died for you and that he finished that work and you're not baptized with that understanding, you're not giving God all the glory that he deserves. And oh, by the way, you know what the Bible says about that? God will not share his glory with another. <laughs> Those doctrines will fall. They'll fall in our minds. They'll fall over time. And when Jesus comes and takes us home, then we will know the only Lord, the only potentate, the only Savior is Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, I determined to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's all about Christ and baptism points to it's all about Christ. May the Lord bless you all in my prayer.